so today we're talking about finances. And in, in the book, there are 17 different sort of core exercises. And I wouldn't say they're all equal. They're all helpful. But if you had to pick out five, money and your finances would be in that five. Because it has an outsized effect on every area of your life, which we'll see. And so we're going to be talking about that. Um, but um, as before we begin, if you're new here, there is a, a, a piece of paper on the information table. You can sign up, get emails and texts. If you ever need any help, let me know. We're meeting two weeks from now. All the emails and correspondence you get have all the dates through May. If you want to go ahead and put that in your calendar as well. And uh, I wanted to have somebody come up as many times as we can who can just tell you, hey, here's how this area has affected me personally or how I operate in that area, just for a couple of minutes, and that's going to be Mike Griffin today. Welcome, Mike. Good morning, men. That was good. So the chapter is Mastering Your Finances. I hate to tell you, but we're not going to be able to master your finances in 40 minutes. So we'll do the best we can. Uh, I would like to, you know, Paul's going to talk in more detail. I only get three minutes. So if, if three minutes, I was thinking, what can I say in three minutes? And I think the biggest thing I can tell you is do not worry about your finances. So if you look at this scripture, it says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body. What you will wear is life not more than food, and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? So about the same time that... Paul started Iron Leadership, I started a business. And I just remember how tight resources were during that time. And I just remember how anxious I would get. And I can, I can remember coming down Fairview Road in the dark to come to Iron Leadership and thinking, man, am I going to make it? And I did this. I went through this routine for five or six years. And finally, it's almost like I just woke up from a bad dream and said, look, you've been worrying for five or six years if you're going to make it, and you never missed a meal, you never miss paying a bill, and you're just wasting your time worrying. It's not helpful. Now, I wish I could go back to myself and say, don't worry, it's going to be okay, and redeem that time. So, you know, what, why do we worry? And when I think about worry, I think about there's problems to be solved, and God is not saying do not care. Jesus is not saying don't take action, don't care. He's saying don't be anxious about it. And I think what happens a lot of times is we get these problems, and big money problems are, are some that are very difficult to solve, and we can't solve them right away, and we become anxious. I become anxious. It's, there's no immediate solution so I start going down all these rabbit trails of the consequences if I don't solve this problem. So I'm going to give you a couple things that have helped me over the years to not worry. First thing is to pray. 
God says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You see, it's not that God doesn't care. He is ready and willing to help us out with our problems. And I had, a, I had an issue yesterday uh, I'll share with you. It was a payroll issue. We switched payroll companies. A couple of my employees didn't get paid, and that's a disaster. If you ever, if you ever run a payroll, someone doesn't get paid, it's a problem. And we were doing everything we could to solve this issue. But I forgot, you know, just stop, take a minute, and pray about this. You know, hand it over to God because there's only so much you can do. And so I think the first thing is go to God and present your request to him. I often forget about that. The second thing is have a plan and work your plan. Now, this is a plan. This is Dave Ramsey's Seven Baby Steps from Financial Peace University. Paul introduced this to me uh, way back, probably about 15 years ago. And I don't follow this exactly, but it's a very good plan if you don't. Follow this plan, then I encourage you to make sure you have a plan and write it down and work your plan. And I th a lot of times my observation is people are just kind of making it up as they go, and that's not a good plan. And I got build wealth and give circled because to me that's important to start doing that. Don't wait till you get to step seven to do that. Do that the entire way because the last thing I would say is to give generously and remember this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously and for me I find that when I give the person that usually receives the biggest blessing is me and my family and so why would you give money away when you need money and giving is just a way of acknowledging that this money is God's and we can talk about giving all day long, but it is very, very important to be generous. So three steps. Pray, have a plan, give generously. Back to you, Paul. This uh, topic is important to me because I, I grew up in a household where my parents didn't have a plan, and it was a disaster. Um, or their plan was, you know, we make it up as we go. And um, it really had a crippling effect on them, their marriage, their family. It, as we'll see, money has a way of leaking out into every area of your life. So that's why it's going to be one of the top things that you want to work on, because if you don't have control over this, it has control over you in some form. And uh, that's not, that's not going to be a good thing. Most of us have read or seen The Lord of the Rings, and um, really how it starts is this little video clip, this guy who turns into Golem. Remember him, the creepy guy with the big eyes? Uh, he was a hobbit named Smeagol. And he's out with his friend fishing. <coughs> and they're just having a good time on a nice lake. And his friend catches a fish that's so big it pulls him into the water. So he's holding on to the rod and, and reel, and he's floating through the water trying to get this fish. It's kind of funny. You'll see it in a minute. But he finds a ring, and it has a kind of power like money has. And you'll see the effect of this. It's, it's a very dis little disturbing, maybe at 6 o'clock in the morning, 6.30. But um, it's, it's a helpful illustration of what happens 
if money and its power take over your life. Jesus says, I've come to give life, and you might have it to the full. The next verse is, uh, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's exactly what you got to see right there. And he does it in a bunch of different ways. 
And money is one of those ways. And we live in a culture that's just awash in how you operate with money. Uh, not that all cultures don't have it, but in America, we live in a, the most prosperous time uh, in human history and in the most prosperous country. And yet it still has this powerful effect. And if, and if you don't get control of it and you put it on as your savior, the answer to your problems, I love the way Tolkien visualized it. You disappear. Like you think you're going to find life and when you put it on, it's like you disappear. The real you disappears into this void of this hunger for something that you feel like is precious that you can't live without, and you would kill, you would steal, you would destroy in order to have it. We're going to talk about this from probably the most famous passage about money that Jesus talks in Matthew 6. So if you want to look at Matthew 6, verse 19... I found it interesting that the title of this chapter for Tim Challies is Master Your Finances. Because he's used a lot of verbs to describe what each chapter, like embrace, renew, practice, prioritize, redeem, pursue. But he chooses master. And I think he chooses master because of this passage. He understands that you're going to master it or you're going to get mastered by it. Those are really the only two options. So it's not something you pursue or you redeem or you embrace or you prioritize. It's something you have to master. Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then Jesus gives this illustration. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, oh, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. No one can serve two masters. Interestingly, Andrew Carnegie, one of the richest men at the turn of the 20th century, he said this, man must have an idol. I just think that's an interesting opening. Like he understood, every man's going to have an idol. The amassing of wealth is one of the worst species of idolatry. No idol is more debasing than the worship of money. It has the power to degrade you beyond hope of permanent recovery. I mean, he could have just been using Tolkien's vision. It has a power to degrade you beyond recovery. If you, if you put it on, you disappear. You may have heard the famous response by John D. Rockefeller when asked how much money is enough, and he replied, you know what he says? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Now, maybe it was just a funny comeback. I don't know. But if you, this, there was a survey that asked, how, how much more money do you need so you could be happy? 
and across all giving stratus, you know, whether you made $50,000 or $150,000, everyone said 10 to 15% more. Do you feel that illusion? Like, it, I'm almost there, but, but I'm, I make 200% more. I make 500% more than I did my first year on the Young Life staff when I made $17,000. And I still go, boy, if I had a little bit more. It's, it's like this thing. No matter, no matter what your scale is, just a little bit more gets you to happiness. But when you get there, what do you need? just a little bit more that that's you can tell you're putting the ring on you're beginning to disappear you're be beginning to degrade and so jesus in this passage he just talks about three things that are on your handout there there's a principle verse 24 you can't serve god and money that's that's the underlying takeaway you n just notice what jesus is saying is much like Carnegie, everyone is going to serve. You see that? You can't serve God and money. You're, you're going to serve one, so we're built for service. That's how the human heart is arranged. You don't have to be a Christian to do that. You just, you just know that's the way it is. You and I are not designed to be masters. We're, we're not designed to be owners. We're designed to serve. And the question is, who... Or what do we serve? That would be a great question just to try to wrestle with this weekend. Because it might not be money. It might be something else. But what, it, what is it that really drives you from the bottom? And then he tells, he tells us about the power of wealth. He assigns to it godlike qualities. Think about it. Money outlives us. It, it almost has kind of an eternal dimension. Your money can exert a powerful influence a hundred years after you're dead if you had enough money. It, it, it feels like it's godlike. Uh, if you listen to Dave Ramsey, who, who I think has a good plan, he'll always talk about you can change your family tree. So he understands that you can do something now that in generations you'll still be having an influence. And you, you feel that it has godlike power? See, see, my dashing good looks aren't going to last past this life, are they? No. What, whatever other kind of quality I have, not many of them have the power to move past my, the day of my death. But money could have a generational influence. So it has a, a godlike power. It has a godlike influence. It can have influence in circles that you're not even in. Somebody walks into the room and, you just know that that's that person. They have a lot of money. That's why we have we say money talks. See, it has a power. He or she gets what they want because money talks. They have money. They can make things happen. Kind of godlike power. And then it, it it pretends to offer you what only God can give you. If I had a little bit more, then I would be happy. If I had a little bit more, then I would be comfortable. If I had a little bit more, then I could have absolute safety. See, these are the only things God can give you. But you assign them, or we assign them to money, thinking, gosh, if I just had that, then I would be what only God can, can give the human heart. So it ha money has a, a kind of power, and it influences us in a godlike way. 
And money has a different agenda than God. Money as a master will take you in a completely different course. I've already mentioned it. The, the path of money is comfort, safety, and power. Now, if you read your Bible, is that Jesus' path? Comfort, safety, power. He doesn't seem to be very interested in any of those things. <laughs> Not in the way we would think about it. I mean, if you, were, if you were a Jesus follower, you might say risk, sacrifice, service. But you wouldn't say, well, I'm following Jesus so I can have all comfort, all safety, all power in this world. No, that's, that's the opposite of following Jesus. So it, it, has, it has a power, and you can't serve both of them. Jesus just sets it up right at the very beginning. The principle is you're going to serve one of these two, and you have to decide every day, which one am I going to serve? Secondly, he gives us this odd little picture. It's almost hard to discern what he's talking about. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if you think you have the light, but it's really darkness, then you're really in trouble. You're in great darkness. So here's the picture. Jesus is trying to pull something out, not just a principle, but give you a picture. And it's kind of like your eyes. If your eyes are good, then that's going to help the rest of your body. I'm going to be able to walk down this aisle and walk out the door without running into the chairs or running into the wall. It helps me. It filters things out so I know where I should go. I have a single vision. I don't have double vision. But if your eyes are bad, then your whole body is dark. I mean, if you're blind, you're there's nothing in your body that can compensate for that. You just can't see. So you have to do other things. So the danger is, is this is like money. Money is a little piece like an eye, but it has a massive effect on the rest of your body. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Your eye is very small, but it has a massive effect on the rest of your life. Money is very small, but if, if the way you see money is darkness, you're in gr really deep trouble for your whole body. So, the way it has a blinding effect, there's more than this, you could talk about it, is that money and possessions blind you from thinking you're greedy. That's part of the blinding effect of money. So, Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, did a series on seven deadly sins one of them was greed and his wife talked to him before he delivered this little sermon and it was actually a gathering kind of like this one a Sunday morning thing and she said not many people will show up for this one why nobody thinks they're greedy I mean if you say lust well, most people have some kind of lust they're dealing with, and they might want some help. But nobody thinks they're greedy. And he, so he asked his wife, what do you mean? She said, well, nobody thinks they're greedy because they know somebody else who's, who has a little bit more, and they think they're greedy. Does that make sense? All you have to do, no matter how much money you make, is have a friend who makes a little bit more, and you go, well, they're, they're the greedy ones. They need to go to this thing that Tim Keller's doing. But you don't. 
whether you make 20000 or 200000 you know somebody who makes a little bit more and their house is a little bit nicer and their car is a little bit fancier and boy, they have a problem. But you see, you never see that you could have a problem. That's the power of money. It blinds you to what really is true. The second way it blinds you is it makes you think that you're an owner. Mike talked about this. You're, you're, you've earned it. You're, not a, you're a master. You're an owner. You're not a steward or a servant of your money. That's the blinding effect. All gifts have come from God. So you're a receiver, and, and you could be a servant. You could be a steward. You could be somebody who's a, 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 a ma- you're, you're helping God in the finances that you, he gave you to manage them in some way, but you don't own any of it. It's all came from him. It's all going back to him. And it, but, it, but the problem is you don't have to train the human heart to make the human heart feel like, hey, that's mine. Uh, last sat Friday, I think it was, I went to a Hoggard Hanover basketball game. Super crowded. My grandson and I are there. He wants to get the popcorn and the M&M peanuts, right? So we stand in kind of a long line, and I pay for it. I hold his hand. We get back to the stands. I tear open the bag. I snap open the bottle. And then I think, I'd like a peanut M&M. So I reach over to grab one. What, what was his immediate reaction? What did he say? One word. Mine. Nobody had to teach him that. It was just automatic. Sweet little Daniel Paul Phillips. Going to have to change that middle name now. But do you see that? See, do you, do you feel that? That th- what he displayed is how I live so often. Oh, that's mine. Okay, I stood in line. I gave it to you. I opened it for you. I paid for it. And now you're saying it's mine. That's the human heart. That's the ring that you slip on. When you say mine, you're slipping on the ring. You're starting to disappear. That's, that's the blinding effect of money. That's when you know you have a bad eye. Finally, Jesus says there's some practice you can do, and you can talk more about some specific things, but the practice is do not and do. Verse starts in verse 19. You got a reverse course. You do not invest your treasures in things that, that the moth and rust destroys. Do invest your things that don't get destroyed by moth and rust. So do not. You've got a reverse course. The way you've been thinking about money, you have to back that up and say, I've got to got to re-engineer that i love going out to 421 to the dump this is really a favorite thing of mine because i'm at the age where i like getting rid of stuff i don't like getting stuff anymore and um like when my kids say what do you want for father's day take something out of my garage that's what i want (laughs) i don't need anything else if i need it i buy it just take something away and I took an old television out there. Have you ever done this? This is, this is really worthwhile. It's kind of a good Saturday afternoon thing if you don't have anything else to do. So I've got the big box television that cost me, you know, my inheritance when I bought it. I can't pick it up hardly. It was state-of-the-art, baby. And there's a mountain of them out there. 
And I, I, I took some time. This is how terrible uh, a weekend I was having to look at some of these televisions at the dump. And I was like, I remember this one. It was in Circuit City, which you don't even know Circuit City, some of you. And I remember seeing that, and it had the speakers on the side. And you know, I, just, I was like, wow, I really wanted that. But it's not worth a nickel now. And at some point, I thought, if I had that in my house, then wow, I wouldn't need anything bigger than that 25-inch television. <laughs> now you wouldn't even buy a 25-inch television. But you see, th there's so many things we invest in that are on their way to 421. <laughs> but you think, oh, i got to have that right now. So you got to reverse course. you got to reverse course. And this is very easy to say and very hard to do. So I heard somebody say, instead of live, save, give, which is how most people live their lives, most people live their lives paycheck to paycheck. So they live, they happen to have any money left over, they might save it. What was the stat I heard recently? I think it was something like this. 37% of American households have no savings, zero. The next 19%, so it ended up being 35, whatever the number was, 55, have less than 1,000. So 55% of America's households have less than $1,000. So you probably heard, you know, how, how, how many households can have a four or $500 event happen in their lives? It's, you know, half people can't. So you live, you just live past your paycheck. If you happen to have money left over, you save it. And then you say, well, giving. <laughs> well, whatever sort of comes around. If I just happen to have some money when I go to the banquet, go to the church. And you really have to reverse that. God's plan has always been give, save, live. So the principles, you know it if you're in, in the Bible of first fruits. The very first cutting of the crop went to the Lord. And then everything else you were a steward of. But see, we, we say I, my, the first part of my paycheck goes to my house, to my car, to my food, to my cable, to my... And then if I have any left over, then I decide what I should save and what I should give. And we've got a reverse course on that. But to reverse course, that's going to that's gonna create some financial pain. If you're not living this way, to try to reverse course, it's not, it's don't try to do it all today. But so many people I find say, I really would like to give to things of the kingdom, but I just can't. And I don't know them, so I'm, I don't say this, but, I, but sometimes I think, I bet you could if you reprioritize your life. So you got to learn to to give, save, and live. Don't 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 invest in the television that's going to be in the dump. Do invest in things that are going to last forever. Randy Alcorn. I've got ten of these books up here. So if you're not a member of Christ Community Church, you can take one. Uh, if you are a member, we're going to give these away in a couple of months, so you can get one then. But if you haven't read this, this is the best little book on finances, how you think about them. And he talks about laying up treasures for yourself in heaven. And he says this, 
look at Jesus' argument. Jesus doesn't say earthly treasures are bad, are bad, but they just are. Jesus doesn't say earthly treasures are bad, but they just don't last. Jesus has a different investment strategy. He says you should invest, but invest in things that you will benefit not in three years or 30 years, but 30 million years. Invest in things that last forever. So there's a principle. You just can't serve God and money. You will serve one of them. If you serve money, you put on the ring, you will disappear. You just won't be the same kind of person. Because money comes in, if it's not managed well like a great resource, it will steal, kill, and destroy. There's a picture, and you can think about it every time you open up your eyes. How are my money eyes? Do I, do I see myself correctly? Do I see them correctly? Am I blinded in some way? Because if I am, it hurts all of my systems. It's not just in a silo. And do, do reverse course and find yourself giving generously and giving first not last. And then when you give, give the things that in 30 million years you're going to say, I'm so glad I gave to that. All right. We've got about 15 minutes. I'll put the questions up here and you can talk together. Ready? Break. <laughs>